0: Welcome to Hassap Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on. Welcome to Off the Menu. I'm Amanda Evans-Lara from HACCP Mentor and I'm here again today with my trusty colleague Peter Holtman from Holtman Professional Services. Hello. Today... We're going to continue on with our topic of career advancement and career proficiency and making sure that we're awesome food safety professionals and how do we progress through each of those levels within our uh, working career in food safety, uh, food safety, food production, let's say. So, Pete, what are we going to cover today, please?
1: Today we're talking about the proficient worker or the proficient professional for want of a better term so and I know last time you were saying to me off mic Peter what really is the difference between a competent person and a proficient person so let me help answer that question for you then Amanda what is the difference between competent and proficient
0: yes Pete that was one of my main questions that I had what is the difference because from what I thought I knew, I thought they were pretty similar. So what's the difference being proficient and competent, which we covered in the last episode?
1: Amanda, thanks for asking me that question. Let me try and answer it quite simply for you. I don't think there is a simple answer to this, by the way. But you let You me... know
0: how much I like simplicity, though. Of course
1: you do. <laughs> when you're proficient, you are really dealing with high levels of complexity in the role. And that can mean more people, more process, more standards, more product, more customers, more uh, technicality in how to produce a product. So,
0: that for me it sounds like more stress.
1: I'm sure it does. <laughs> but a proficient person's actually looking for this level of work. You're no longer just comfortable being an expert in a particular process line, you now want to be proficient in all process lines. Okay. You want to be proficient in new production techniques. So So
0: are you talking about, I've been working on the bread line, but now I want to get more proficient at other departments within the business. So now I want to do cakes or I want to be in pies. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're talking about here? That's what we're actually, yeah, that's
1: what we're talking about. We could be dealing with a production environment that deals with low, medium and high risk food groups. Yes. And you may have been quite competent in the medium risk, which means you cut your teeth on the low risk environment. You've moved up into the medium risk environment. Now they're asking you to take on the high risk, uh high sensitivity, aseptic environment. And that comes with a whole new set of challenges along the way that you're now going to have to upskill for by getting some tertiary training, some extra tertiary training on this, or some specific industry training and experience. So someone actually has to train you on the use of the equipment or the process. And you're most likely going to have to train other people to use that that process in that environment as well.
0: Okay, so from a, um, a QA manager perspective or QA supervisor, what would that look like for them?
1: They've been asked to implement a new way of doing, say, modified atmosphere packaging on their salads line. So they might have been doing... A different type of gas flush and seal uh, process. Now they've been asked to implement um, a a nitrogen flush and a a new thermal sealing uh, piece of equipment.
0: So were they actually doing the research, new research on this or are they being someone else's higher up has done the research let's say of what's going to be best for the business and now it's their job to implement it with a team in the business?
1: They'll be working with, say, the the product developers to understand how this product goes through the manufacturing environment. They'll be working with the, the, the lab to talk about the micro-regime and the testing regime for this. They'll be working with the plant engineers to talk about how this equipment is installed, maintained and cleaned and then they'll be talking with the the finance department on the cost of maintenance, the extra cost or the savings in, in production costs for this equipment and also the, the calculation of savings in labour cost.
0: Okay. So when you – I'll just go back a couple of steps here. You were saying about um, having to look at multiple standards within the business. So to put that in context in probably the space that I'm more familiar with and that's working with consultancy clients – where they are having to implement multiple, SQF, maybe they're doing an environment standard, a WHS standard, or maybe it's all different food standards. So unfortunately here in Australia, we have multiple standards. So even as auditors, we have to audit multiple standards where I know in other parts of the world, that's not the case. So we talk about multiple standards, that's what we're talking about, that you have to have a good regulatory knowledge around what all of that means.
1: That's right. So I would expect a proficient person to be able to review, say, all four or five of these industry standards and create what's called a a standards crosswalk uh, within their documentation and find where the, the crossovers are, where the gaps are, and then to adjust their food safety plans, their food safety training and their food safety recording and monitoring systems to be able to capture all of the requirements in that crosswalk. That would be a proficient person.
0: So we're looking at being able to develop an integrated management system, really, integrated food safety management system because if you're in the US, you may be doing SQF but you may also be doing BRI as well as having to comply with the FISMA requirements. Mm -hmm. So instead of having separate documentation or systems for each of those, those requirements, you can integrate all of those together.
1: That's exactly right. A okay. competent person will be able to competently apply one, maybe two standards. A proficient person will look at the holistic picture and figure out how to make that work most efficiently and effectively within the organization.
0: Okay, so we're, we're doing more helicopter view. On yeah, all you're, of this you're stuff.
1: stepping out of the box now. You're coming up several thousand feet from the production floor into a, an overview of the entire organization and what are the best processes to deliver the outcomes according to the the business plan.
0: Okay. So what's our expected level of working time to get to this level?
1: Yeah, you're usually in the five to ten-year work experience period now, Um, a minimum five years. You would have uh, honed your skills on as many standards as you possibly could, perhaps individually or maybe in combination. And you would have been learning some management techniques as well. So this is becoming a manager, becoming a leader in the organisation. The organisation may have approached you and asked you to take on more formal training or you may have decided that your skill set needs to be upgraded in order to meet these new conditions and you've gone and done it on on your own uh, accord.
0: Okay. So when we talk about this five- to ten-year experience, Um, That could be within that one organisation. It could be across several organisations. That's right. It's it's
1: probably across several organisations. And what that leads you to is becoming familiar with benchmarking, which is what do we do differently to everybody else? Who's got the better process or what standard allows us to better achieve our outcomes? So benchmarking starts to become part of your lexicon and part of your practices that you're Asking your teams—it's no longer a team. You've probably got multiple teams, but you're asking your teams to become involved in.
0: So I think with benchmarking, then comes this whole concept of the continuous improvement. So you've got that ability to drive that process better in an organisation. That's exactly
1: right. You're you're committed to to change and improvement in the organisation, so that you're achieving a better result with less resources.
0: Okay, less resources, great.
1: (laughs) Well, But resource doesn't necessarily mean staff. It can mean less money, Money, less ingredients, less waste going out to be managed, less less warehouse space. This is what we mean by resource. A resource isn't just a person. It's everything that the organisation deploys to achieve its uh, outcome.
0: Okay, so from that side when we're looking at experience, some of the key things at this area. So in a previous episode when we talk about competence, we were talking about people starting to do internal audits and being on the HACCP team where I think at this level we're expecting you to be the HACCP team leader, uh, to drive the change, to definitely have that ability to identify and uh, assess hazards and put applicable effective control measures in place and to drive that implementation process.
1: Absolutely. You would be a HACCP team leader, you would be an audit team leader, or if not a principal auditor. So being able to conduct audits by yourself or leading teams of others, you'd be a project team leader as well. And so project skills, design of projects becomes a major part of your role as well. And uh, design of audit uh schedules design of uh, supplier rating systems these are all the sorts of things you would be performing as part of your role
0: and i think if if you've been following along with all these episodes and going in order hopefully you're seeing the pattern that we're not saying so much about different skills we're talking about the same skills but we're just talking about getting better at those skills
1: absolutely you're 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 applying more decision-making, more problem-solving to more complexity. That's what you're doing here. As as these uh, complexities in an organization increase, someone or some group of people are usually managing it. And as you move up the management tree, you're actually doing less and less of the hands-on work and engaging more and more people to do the hands-on work for you so you're becoming a little more removed from the from the granularity but you're becoming more engaged in the overall process of the organization
0: so when for you pete based on your history do you feel that you were at this level of hmm. being proficient we've given that guideline of five to ten years yep did that fit into your scope
1: I think it did. You know, I was, I was probably a, uh, a good five years into my career at that point in time. Uh, I moved from the lab tech to the regulatory function to the internal audit and quality management process to becoming an external auditor, a certification auditor. So I was able to audit to multiple standards, to multiple industry sectors and to multiple risk ratings. So I reached a level of proficiency there and that came with time, So, uh, which is experience. So I was trained in the multiple standards. I was trained in the auditing function for certification and I was uh, placed into different industry sectors to learn about those industry sectors, find where the risks were and use that knowledge of risks to apply it to the, to the audit process. And so I found that I started say, in the food ingredient and bakery sector because it was most familiar, and moved into beverages. I moved into uh, and that was um, moved uh, into dairy beverages, which starts to put you into a high risk component. From there I, I was getting uh, egg products and and uh, egg production. I found myself in uh, in seafoods pretty quickly. From there, because of the the primary production or the agricultural component of doing, of doing the um, the the seafood, and then I started to move into other areas. From there, eventually ended up in food service, which um, uh, and then auditing the hospital sector. So moved up into some of the highest risk categories, based on the ability to demonstrate. The knowledge of the sector and being able to apply that to identify risks and audit against those risks,
0: so yeah, I think that's very similar to mine, but from a I suppose from the public health perspective around that, I left public health after seven years of being there, and that's when I felt that i it was well it was time for me to move on, not that I had learned everything I needed to learn that was. Far from the case, but it was more a lifestyle choice that I made. But I do recall at that point, around about year six, year seven, I was definitely running all of my own legal cases. We still had to get approval, obviously, because of it being a government department. But probably the biggest shift was I was now sitting on stakeholder committees from a national level because in Australia at that time we were going through the new food, uh, the food safety standards were being rewritten. So being able to sit on those committees to put in my expertise of what, how things should be running and not running. And another area that I found is I was now starting to talk at conferences as well. A lot of it was around major food poisoning cases. So, yes, the hepatitis A in oysters that we spoke about in a previous episode we had a massive case of uh, listeria in fruit salad that ended up killing quite a few people. So presenting papers at conferences around that stuff and getting more technical with that. So very directed kind of work. Still was doing the, the basic work and that's only again, a resourcing thing is we still had to cover all of that work anyway. One of the other things I found myself doing was instructing and educating other food inspectors, not just in the state government but now starting to train and educate uh, local council inspectors.
1: This is is important because you're starting to get into some attributes here and one of these is being trusted and also showing trust and that's really important when you get to these levels because you can't do a lot of the work. Yourself, so you have to entrust that work to other people. So you're starting to build your 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 behaviours and your your leadership skills around trusting others and what tools you need to put in place to trust others and to get the right feedback. You're also talking about you know uh, talking at conferences and that and that demonstrates passion for the passion for the cause, passion for the industry, passion for Uh, sharing information with other people. And so these are really important attributes when you're at this level.
0: And I think that's something that I still maintain today. I'm very passionate about what I do and how I do it. And I really want to, you know, my legacy is I want compliance to be effective and easier for everybody. That's kind of what I live by every day. That's why I do what I do. And I actually had somebody send me an email yesterday you know, saying thank you and you do this with all, you know, you don't get paid to do this. Pete and I don't get paid to do these podcasts, but we have got a shared passion of being able to pass on our knowledge to other people so they can then take up the baton and continue on with this whole concept of producing safe food because that's what we want.
1: That's exactly right. So, um, you know, being motivated to – deliver information to make change is important a lot of a lot of the times in this role you could be facing varying levels of adversity or challenge so a new product a new process this has never been done before the industry is not accepting it yet we don't have data on changing food safety requirements from this to the other so you have to be motivated in order to get through those those changes so And innovative too, I think. Yeah, and innovative. That's right. Um, You may have either been uh, directed to do these changes, which can happen. You know, usually someone higher than you, an expert, has directed change in industry. It could be from a uh, a standards owner, a peak body, or some expert out there. Government
0: authority. A government authority. New regulations.
1: Or the industry has decided to make this change. Either way, you need to be motivated to to rise to the challenge, to meet the changes and to demonstrate the outcomes that are, that are expected of you.
0: So I think in that context then, it's really important to have these critical thinking skills or attributes. When we say that, we mean you, know, you can look outside the square. You're looking at things not as they are, but more an in-depth level to try and what they could be and to try and make something better, more efficient, more effective. It might be more uh, less costly, whatever the parameter is, but you have got that ability in your thinking to not just accept the ho-hum, to start moving past that.
1: And so when we discussed in the last podcast about uh, being able to predict the future somewhat, We're really talking, you know, at a competent level. You might be looking at what happens over the next 6 to 12 months. When you're at at this uh, level, at the proficient level, you're probably looking uh, mid-range or medium term. You're probably working to, say, a three-year plan that the organisation has put together or the industry is. Uh, You might be aware that uh, standards are reviewed and changed every four years. So you might be working on a four-year agenda. For things to to occur, so your thinking is beyond the front of your nose now. To you know what's over the neighbour's fence and and how are they going? That's hang on, that's
0: taking it to another level, Pete. Isn't that against the law?
1: It depends what country you're <laughs> in. They- I guess
0: <laughs> looking into your neighbour's backyard. Oh sure, yeah. See yeah. what
1: barbecue they've got. Exactly. Oh right, that, okay. That barbecue- barbecue's bigger than mine.
0: Barbecue envy.
1: That's it's a thing. <laughs> It's a it,
0: thing. Is it? Really?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Have I showed you our barbecue?
1: Uh, no, not recently. <laughs> We've
0: got the Weber. Oh, dear. We've got the new Weber Q. Oh,
1: no advertising here.
0: Oh, no, no advertising, but it is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not allowed to touch it, obviously. that's um.
1: You're not competent?
0: No, my husband hasn't signed me off as competent. There I'm not go. allowed to even touch it. Well, I'm not allowed go. to turn it on, nothing.
1: There's a domestic example for you. You're still at <laughs> yeah. novice level. I,
0: allegedly.
1: <laughs> you're allowed to look at it and, and glory in and it's marvels, but you're not yeah. allowed to touch <laughs> the damn thing. Exactly. So I can think of another case um, in, in my history. So, sure, i, I I moved from from lab to standards, to, or from lab to compliance to internal audit to external audit. And I did mention previously that I joined. I asked to. I was asked to join some committees about developing uh, auditor competencies. At this point in my career, I actually moved into the world of um, the professional credentialing of, of auditors. So I realised that I had sufficient skills now to go and talk about what make good auditors and to join the organization to help craft that so um so for
0: people who aren't familiar with that a person who wants to become an external auditor they have to have a certain level of skill attributes experience knowledge so pete was involved in writing what that level should be
1: yeah, and so I guess at this level you you may be involved in the creation of some standards based on your experiences using standards or based on being a professional in the space. You might be asked to
0: well, You might be a subject matter expert yeah, that feeds can, into that process.
1: Definitely. At this level you're a, a technical expert or a subject technical. matter expert and uh, you're helping to discuss the challenges of your space and how can your industry or your professionals or your peers improve?
0: And I think if you're looking at this from purely within an organisation, you may now be asked to sit on or report to the board, be a part of uh, not so much directors meetings, but definitely higher management meeting that sets policy moving forward in the organisation.
1: Absolutely. Not
0: just around product but process.
1: Yep. And this comes back to the trust. Again, people are trusting the information you're providing is, is accurate and is current and is relevant and they're trusting the decisions or the opinions you're providing around that information. So you're on a very high level of influence now and that is also um, translated through your passion So if you're really quite passionate, that comes out in how you share your message and how you communicate. So we've spent a lot of time in previous podcasts talking about levels of communication and interpersonal skills. Here you'll have quite a high level of interpersonal skills. You'll be very articulate, either written or spoken, and you'll be able to influence people with uh, good construction of arguments and content.
0: Mm. And I think having that kind of an infectious personality, and I don't mean infectious as in…
1: We're back to coronavirus Back to
0: coronavirus. I don't mean it like that. I mean infectious as in you help motivate change in people because they're inspired by you to change their own behaviour because they want to be like you.
1: That's true. So you're motivating as well as motivated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be unusual for you also to be a mentor at this particular point in time. And so you may be crafting your mentoring skills and be willing to take on some mentors.
0: And it may be from the point where you're just trying to get the best out of the people that you're working with or the team under you. We're actually going to talk about mentoring in another episode. But at this level, you want to get the best out of your team. So as Pete said, you might start, doing a little bit of that stuff at this particular role yeah. or this level of being proficient.
1: Do you think this occurred for you, Amanda, when you moved into private business? You you felt that you were more than ready to make the change and to deploy what you've learnt from your regulatory role back um, in the industry?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely I did because now I saw it being I wasn't on the bad guy side not that there should ever be a bad guy side, but that's how people kind of perceive government inspectors. They're just here to just ruin my day. But I saw it more as being I'm now in the position to be able to help people because obviously as an inspector or even as an auditor, your your job's not to nurture people to comply or to show people how to do something. Your role is really just around this is what the rules are and you're not complying or you are complying. It's to assess compliance. That's what the role of an auditor is. But when you can step into that role of a consultant, is which is what I went into when I started my business, I felt for me I could be more nurturing. I wasn't there with the big stick. I could talk on a more, I don't know, personal level with companies. From my experience, I could say, look, this hasn't worked, you know, You're going down this track, which is not going to be a good track. We need to put some level of change in place. So change management was a big part of it, but being able to relate those concepts to people and getting them to change. And then I've found like even with some of my clients that I've worked with for, you know, there's one client I've worked with since day one, so we're going on 20 years, and I probably do more mentoring with the business owner than what I've ever done before and that's only come about by trust. That well, that person trusts me to advise on how to make his business better and not just around food safety. It's gone way past food safety. We're talking about business management now. Because of the experience I've had as an auditor going into all different types of businesses, I can now go in and advise, look, I've seen this work, this not work. You know, This is the way we need to address your staff members you know we shouldn't be doing this really around change change management and culture within a business so I wouldn't have been able to do that as an inspector
1: yeah I think you're touching on two really good points that we haven't raised uh, yet one is about being uh, consultative or uh, following a pathway as a consultant because that's still a professional in this space and you're adding a lot of immediate and also long-term value to a client based on your level of knowledge and detail in the industry. And the other component is being able to educate others around what best practice looks like or what good practice looks like. And so the other career path here is being a trainer uh, mm-hmm. in this space as well. And I know between the two of us, we've completed all three or four of these roles, isn't it, so, or three roles, consultant, Trainer, auditor, auditor, and I guess the fourth one is a mentor as well. As well. So yeah. we've we've uh, been fortunate enough to be able to pursue all of these uh, activities.
0: And I think when we get into another episode, we'll talk about those differences between a trainer and educator. I think I feel the position now. I am more. I'm doing more education, and not, so it's not so structured. In that, mm. so if you know what I mean, it's it feels a lot more. Um, I feel a lot more satisfied with that as opposed to just getting up and lecturing, following a part of this is the competency that the participant has to have. You have to deliver it in this manner. Where education, you get to choose how you want to deliver that message, and you can touch on all heap heap of other different things. But we can talk about that in a in a later episode.
1: Mm. That's it's a good point. I mean. Uh, and If you wanted to distinguish on how information gets delivered as a consultant versus a, an educator, with education all you can do is give them the seed of knowledge and they go away and apply it, whereas in the consulting space you're practically applying it for the client and then it's up to them to educate themselves on how to use it. So you're almost reversing the, mm. the, the process there on, on good practice and how it gets into an organisation.
0: To wrap this episode up, I think we've covered everything now, Pete. We've we've looked at our attributes, experience, knowledge, and our skills to be at this level of proficient.
1: Yeah, I hope uh, not only you, Amanda, but the listeners can see a, or can hear a, a different level uh, between just being competent and now being a proficient person. Whereas you're taking more charge not only of your future but also the future of others around you. You're starting to progress towards what we call the pentultimate level, which is expert.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a future episode. So hopefully you'll come back and listen. You can subscribe to the podcast on any of the major channels, iTunes, Google Podcasts. We've also got Stitcher, iTunes Radio, Have a look on the website here where you've, if you've been viewing it from the website, you can see links to go and subscribe. Because after we actually finish this series, Pete, we're not going to just stop at this series on professional development. We are going to look at other series. Absolutely. We're having a great time actually working with each other. Absolutely. I think. uh,
1: I think Amanda and I can talk the leg off a wooden chair together. Um, so uh, stay well, tuned you could, for more Pete, content. I
0: would probably need to go and have a lay down oh, no. yeah, <laughs> after you've spoken
1: under wet cement for an hour. That's exactly. it.
0: That's it. Anyway, thanks very much again. Thanks and for listening. We will see you next episode. You've been listening to HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.haccipmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes to this episode.